0: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to the Waves of the Voice of the Cap if you just tuned in, 91.3 FM studio, 89.8, 90.9, 95.8, as well as www.vcfm.seerazere my name is uh, Mohammed Fasik Peterson, and uh, yes, uh, we are bringing a very special broadcast this evening focused on the issue of racism we know racial tension has been uh, in the news, particularly in the United States uh, with Black Lives Matter movement has really uh, come to the uh, after the killing of uh, um, uh, George Floyd. And so many, and, and the history and the legacy of racism, this, this discussion has taken root. And the question is being asked tonight also, the importance of uh, the Muslim communities at all uh, in combating uh, the issue of racism. The question also being asked about uh, racism here in South Africa, in Southern Africa. And uh, the guest uh, joining this discussion is former ambassador to the United States, States, uh, 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 former Premier also Ibrahim Russell and also uh, Imam Siraj Wahaj of Brooklyn Masjid uh, discussing this matter this evening. The facilitator will be Mr. Shabuddin Romani. We now cross live for the
1: in Cape Town. uh, We're doing this particular broadcast or webinar as we now know them to be with the World for All Foundation which is founded by Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul. Uh, And we uh, welcome, uh, therefore, uh, viewers and listeners from New York to Jakarta, to India, from Kuwait to the UAE. And I believe we might even have uh, viewers and also listeners in Saudi Arabia. And then also we know that we have viewers and listeners in West Africa and also in East Africa. This is a wonderful occasion to discuss this very very pertinent topic of black lives do matter we're going to try and address the global pandemic of racism this webinar as i said is part of a series we hope that uh, as a result we would be able to um kind of unpack the issues and 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 find some solutions going forward the topic is very relevant, the almost global campaign of death, destruction and dispossession of people of non-European descent, a human race who for centuries, believe it or not, has been traded, annihilated in some instances and exploited and now almost systematically targeted for killing by those who claim to have superpower status. This is the backdrop to the Black Lives do-matter global campaign. It is this pivotal point around which attitudes and actions uh, need to be changed by force, in my opinion, my personal opinion, uh, as it is, uh, if necessary, which is what we've seen in in, uh, uh, the United States in particular and the kind of response that we've had, globally speaking, uh, about uh, people uh, who are uh, feeling quite, quite aggrieved at the way in which people are being dealt with. So today's speakers are Ambassador Ibrahim Rasool, who served uh, as a very active anti apartheid campaigner, was often jailed for his uh, if- efforts. And uh, after 1994 in South Africa, was the Premier of the Western Cape as a member of the African National Congress. And before that, uh, before uh, being posted after his term as Premier to the United States, as South Africa's ambassador, uh, we spent almost five years, which is the full term. His global view of the disparities between people and nations led him to form the World for All Foundations uh, that campaigns aggressively for addressing the developmental challenges that's faced by m- millions of people across the board. Ab- ambassador Ibrahim Rasul, welcome to you. Thank you very much. The other speaker we have, um, we are really pleased to have, in fact, is Sheikh Siraj Wahaj, a committed believer who embraced Islam in the 1970s and now carries the extremely heavy mantle, I must say, and responsibilities of being one of the world's key Muslim figures. Uh, Sheikh Siraj, or Imam Siraj, uh, as he's uh, lovingly known, was vice chair at one point of the Islamic Society of North America and is currently the imam at the uh, Majid Taqwa, I understand, in Brooklyn, in New York. Uh, Im- uh, Sheikh uh, Siraj, or Imam Siraj, uh, Wahaj, uh, welcome to you. Welcome, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Wonderful. Thank you for, for, for offering your, your, your insight, uh, imam, and we hope we would come to some kind of conclusion for, as a way forward. Uh, so the program for today is very simple. Uh, this is actually not a debate. We're not, they, we're not casting any aspersions against anybody. It's purely a, uh, the function of this uh, webinar is to uh, look at the issues and find the middle road uh, going forward. So um, Ambassador Rasool will introduce his views just in terms of the program for today uh, for a maximum of 10 minutes. Uh, and then this will be followed by a 10-minute introduction by Sir Siraj, Thereafter, we we'll look at the current state of affairs in, in the United States uh, with a campaign to ensure that George Floyd's murder by a predominantly white police force is not left unch- unchallenged. Thereafter, we will take Q&As for about 20 minutes, so viewers and listeners are encouraged to use the <coughs> social media platform. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube uh, to pop, pop questions to us and those of us who are in South Africa Uh, to um, also um, uh, pop us questions. And I'm also pleased, and I I have neglected to mention this, that uh, we're very pleased to also have ITV, uh, the national, in fact, a continental TV station that's based in Johannesburg in South Africa. We're broadcasting live on ITV, and we're also broadcasting live on The Voice of the Cape, lovingly known as VOC FM, uh, which is a Cape Town-based Islamic or Muslim radio station we're broadcasting live on those two platforms too, in addition to Facebook and also uh, uh, the, uh, um, uh, YouTube and obviously other social media platforms. So, this is the background. I'm going to ask uh, Ambassador Rasool to give us uh, his take on what's going on in, in, in uh, the United States. I give you 10 minutes, Ambassador Rasool, please.
2: Bismillahir Rahmanir Raheem, Shabuddin, Imam Siraj, our viewers. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Good afternoon. Good afternoon in America. Good morning in the East or wherever you are. I think that it is for me and the World for All Foundation a distinct honor to be partnering with Al Ikhlas Academia Library and Resources Center we were there in those early days of Ramadan when they had those seminars in the Athlone civic center during the apartheid years um, we have had big walks during the time of liberation to raise money for for books we have had literacy projects that we've done together and today they have a state-of-the-art library and resources center, but remain absolutely rooted in community so it is wonderful for Shahbuddin to represent um, that strain Imam Siraj, it is great virtually to be reunited with you. Um, We have traveled the U.S. through many cities and states together to conventions, to banquets, to conferences, and so forth. Imam Siraj has been a major bridge builder. And when I say bridge builder, an intra-Muslim bridge builder, because part of the condition today is that the worlds of Islam have not always been united And needed someone like Imam Siraj to be the glue that holds those strands of Islam together in the U.S. And he's been a bridge builder between the Muslim community and the rest of the American society. And he's been absolutely, I've been honored to be with him on those platforms. I've even had the honor of speaking from his member in Masjid Taqwa in New York. I want to say that this discussion today is almost exactly on the anniversary of the assassination of Medgar Evers. And here was a man murdered by the Klansman, and he was not convicted of that murder. It's only in the next decade that the murderer was convicted on an attempted murder on another case and then went to jail. Today, 19 days have passed of consecutive nationwide protests at the killing of George Floyd. Here is a policeman identified the pressure that has been put on is that the man is charged. Will he be convicted? I think that we are seeing this growth of this protest movement across the length and breadth of the world. It's across the United States, but it's across the world. And the question is, there we hope, that there has been a decisive shift in the response by black people to the black condition, not only in the United States, but across the world. And the black condition is a condition that says, when your skin is dark, you are endangered. You are disempowered. You are at the mercy of the powerful. And the U.S. has been witness to many such instances and moments in my time in the U.S., I have been there when Trayvon Martin was killed, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, and Eric Garner, the first one to utter the words, I can't breathe. In all of these, there was outrage and anger, but they were sporadic and interspersed. They were never sustained. And often the missing ingredient in all of those cases that prevented sustained movement for transformation in the United States was that there was no sense of what the struggle was about was it part two of the civil rights movement or was it as in the south african case a national liberation struggle was there too much of an abdication of protest in favor of electoral solutions to problems and elections are important but not on their own was there a conflation of activism in the recent times with social media liking and retweeting was that the extent of activism? Was the absence of a national movement that could go year struggle the missing ingredient? Was there a dichotomy between protecting the gains of the civil rights movement against rocking the boat of unbridled anger? Did the gentlemen of the civil rights movement say, restrain yourselves, we've gained too much? And the question today is, is this reactive protest or is there going to be a proactive articulation of the objectives? Is the objective to defund the police, to prosecute the perpetrators, or to make a transformation of the criminal justice system in the U.S., or to fundamentally shift the power base of the United States? Is the Black Lives Movement the answer to the organizational principle that may inspire and, and, and cohere? A movement of protest towards these objectives? Are the linkages with global racism, US militarism, and racial capitalism being mainstreamed as debates in the US, or do they remain the boo projects? Must you continue to say to the people in uniform, thank you for your service? For us in South Africa and across Africa and the third world, do we import the U.S. model against racism, or do we enrich what is happening in the U.S. with our anti-racial, anti-racist experiences? That's a fundamental question. And while the U.S. protests are most visible, it will have limitations if it does not see the links between racism today and the DNA of colonialism that was defined by a genocide of indigenous Americans. The enslavement of Africans brought there forcefully and even the conquest of Hispanics in the southern lands. How has that DNA spawned the fault lines that characterize today the United States? The systemic racism and the militarism both globally to intervene with impunity where you want to, as well as the domestic militarism that has that anachronism called the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, that is part of the character of US society. And therefore, we need to understand that. If we understand where this moment can be taking us to, the struggle will be limited in impact if it is not connected to all bigotries, the whole family of bigotries. Black Lives Matter remains the crucial crux around which this movement, because the most endangered today in the US are people who are black. And that's a peculiar notion in the USA because in the rest of the world, particularly in South Africa, black is inclusive of all those victimized by colonialism, victimized by racism, victimized by other bigotries. The U.S. has special circumstances, and maybe this process is the healing and the uniting process for them. And while we understand that, we must say indeed that those who have suffered dispossession, discrimination, colonialism, that we need to understand that unless we confront all bigotries, We don't effectively confront a bigotry directed against us so it is against racism it is against xenophobia it is against islamophobia it is against misogyny and therefore it's a struggle for justice and part of the answer is in the white house it is about the removal of trump the naked hard edge but it but obama has shown that it's not enough because obama has been limited ...by one man's ability to change an institutional system developed over two centuries. And Obama has also brought an unintended problem... ...that people of whiteness say, how can the U.S. be racist if we elected a black president? And so there's the false dawn of a post-racial society and therefore don't speak about race. And so the removal of race from the discourse has been one of the important things that I think has inhibited a sustained movement for change. And the question, finally, that I ask you is, are we at the tipping point? Have we seen a perfect storm, a moment of conversion, convergence, even rapture? Because here you have an Amy Cooper who understood perfectly how to victimize a black man and to activate the rawness of a white cop with a phone call. Here we have seen George Floyd, how a white cop acts with that impunity. And the question is, what is the last straw that broke the camel's back? And I think the perfect storm is all of that. Plus the fact that COVID-19, the coronavirus, has acted with absolute devastation against 13% of the population being African-American. One third of the infections and one third of American deaths have been African-American. In some places, it's been 30% deaths and infections. In other places, 64% deaths of African-Americans. It's compounded the inequality, the poverty, the joblessness, the incarceration rates, the comorbidities, and the immunodeficiencies that blacks have started off with in this race to normality. And therefore, the question is, is all of this forming the tipping point? And does America have the ability to make this a decisive moment? And do we in the rest of the world have the ability not only to be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters there but to unshackle us from our own experiences of bigotries and racism and disposition and all of those kind of things this is a moment of convergence of solidarities but it is not in sympathy with others it is in concert to make this the decisive moment you um
1: Ambassador Rasul thank you very much for those opening um, comments of yours. Uh, The point that you raised was, um, is this going to be uh, sustained? uh, The outrage that's been expressed in anger. Um, Is this a simple movement of protest at the moment? Uh, You mentioned the issue of racial capitalism, and that's quite important. And I think what I uh, think um, is critical in terms of one of your comments, Uh, There's this DNA of colonialism uh, that that still resides within the um, fabric of the American society, particularly the white American society, uh, that needs to be eradicated. And then you also talked about the genocide of the indigenous um, peoples, the aborigines who were were found there by supposedly uh, Christopher Columbus first, before they were Uh, Destroyed and annihilated as as a community. Before I um, thank you very much once again. Just a reminder that you are uh, also you can also watch this live on ITV in South Africa and Africa in many countries, and also listen to it live on VOC FM in uh, in Cape Town. Before I ask uh, Imam Siraj to come on board, just a few statistics that I think he could also. Uh, referred to the 12 and a half million Africans who were shipped eventually uh, as slaves to the Americas uh, in the 17th and 18th centuries uh, of, about, of those, about four and a half million were taken to the United States. Today African Americans make up about 15% of the total US population uh, and they earn at least 30% less uh, than the median income in the country. Police killings, believe it or not, are the leading cause of death amongst young men. I mean, that is a disgusting uh, statistic. And of that, African-American men are twice as likely to die at the hands of police in America. There are six and a half million people, believe it or not, uh, in in U.S. prisons, uh, of which um, uh, African-American prisoners make up uh, 35% of that population, despite uh, them uh, being 15% of the total U.S. population. It shows us the kind of disparities um, and, and the kind of racial bias that you find in the United States. And interestingly, and perhaps the last point, uh, there, there are one million policemen um, in, in the United States. It looks like it's a, it's a comfortable place for many of the uh, uh, people in the United States to act out almost the kind of Hollywood dreams about, uh, uh, you know, murdering people and, and, and using their guns uh, at random against their own in the country. So the next person to, to speak, as I've already indicated, is uh, Imam Siraj. Imam Siraj, the floor is yours. Bismillah.
3: Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. I shadu wa la ilahi illallahu wahtahu la shirika la mushadu anu muhammad anabduhu wa rasoola amabat. Uh, I want to first um, thank you. I'm very honored to be here, um, especially with Ambassador Rasul, brother whom I love and love to be with and love to listen to him. And um, I believe, I, I have to be honest with you, um, I have a lot to say. <laughs> I need about five hours, but I don't think you have five hours. So I'm going to try uh, my best to, to make a summary of what I want to talk about. I want to begin with an interesting statement that Thomas Jefferson made. Thomas Jefferson is as American as you can get. He was the third president of the United States of America. And listen to what he said. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot remain sleep forever. What we have once in a while, you see something that happens that is so profound that the only thing you can say is an act of God. And Maybe we'll talk about that to some degree. When you look at the COVID-19 and the impact of all over the world, when um, May 25th, when George uh, Floyd was murdered, it's something that happened that had a profound effect. Someone once asked the question, what will America be? The answer is, what do you want it to be? And what are you willing to do to make it happen? If you look at me, you notice I have several identities. Anna, that's what, I'm black. You know what? I love being black. I can't wait to wake up every morning black. You say, why? Because Allah mentioned Quran, Huwa It is Allah who created you in the womb as He pleased. If Allah is pleased to make me a black man, I'm happy to be a black man. Indeed, the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, said, In Allah ta'ala, La ila asamikum wala ila suwadikum walakin ila kulubikum. God Almighty is not going to look at your forms or your bodies. He ain't concerned about your color. But he will look at two things, your heart and your deeds. When you look at the condition of black people, so number one, Anna Eswed, I'm black. Anna Esrikiyun, I'm African. If you ask the black men and women of America, where are they from? They say Africa, but we're in Africa. We don't know. I'm black, I'm African, I'm American, this is my country. I'm a bus yard, I'm a human being. All of that, these are my, my identities. But let's take a look at black people for a moment, you know, Nothing's more frustrating and and, um, brings more anger to a black person when a black person says, black lives matter. And you say, all lives matter. Well, that's true. If all lives matter, black people wouldn't have to say black lives matter. Black lives matter. You know, I'm a researcher. I study, I read, um, I read current events. But there's something about current events and there's a difference between current events and history. Current events tell you what's going on now, but history tells you why. Let me give an example. I did some research in my country. I said, I'm I'm American, right? So I'm American. And I wanted to see the life expectancy of an average American. And this is what I came up with. The life expectancy of an average American is 78.6 years. And if you look at the nations of the world, we'd be the 45th nation with the highest life expectancy. But that's misleading. If you ask the question, what is the average life expectancy of an African-American man of a black man? It is 71.5 years. If we took black men as a nation, they would be, we would be 111th in the world. When you look at the disparity, you heard some of it um, uh, today already, but there's more, there's millions of more, there's a lot of things we can talk about, but the question is, how do we get there and what are we gonna do? Because I think, number one, the COVID-19 is divine, And I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. Number two, the murder of George Floyd was divine. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Martin Luther King Jr. said, he who gets behind in a race must forever remain behind or run faster than the man up front. Black people are behind whatever yardstick you want to use to measure the prison, uh, the health disparity uh, and economics prison. Did you know that every year 10,000 innocent people are convicted? 10,000 innocent people are convicted in the United States every year, many of them black. Almost every week I read a newspaper. I read about a black man who was in prison for 40 years and was exonerated, found out that he was in jail 40 years, 50 years, 60 years for crime that they never committed. 85% of the cases that are adjudicated in, in the courts of America are won or lost in the very jury selection process. What happened? with George Floyd. Why is it for two weeks people are protesting? Blacks and whites in all over the world, people protesting. There seems to be a movement happening. What's gonna happen? Allahu adem. But the question is, what will America be? What do you want it to be? Let me give you an example. There are a couple of models, but I'm gonna give you one model that's interesting. Um, you know, it's often that um, especially black men are murdered. Sometimes black women, too, are murdered by white police officers. Seldom are they held accountable. But last year, something interesting happened. A, a woman by the name of Amber Guy- Geiger was convicted of killing a black man. And it should have been a slam, case, slam, uh, slam, case, uh, case, slam dunk case, right? She murdered, she murdered a black man in his apartment. And she claimed that she thought she was in her own apartment and she thought he was an intruder. She was convicted. But let me give you something interesting to think about. This happened in Dallas, Texas. Consider this, the population of Dallas. of the population of Dallas are Hispanic, 29% white, 24% black. The mayor of Dallas, black. The police chief of Dallas, black. The Dallas County District Attorney, black. The judge who presided over this case, black. Of the 12 jurors and four alternatives, seven of them were black, four were white, and five other races. What am I saying? America is changing. America is not the same. By 2045, white people will be a minority in this country, changing demographics. yes. Political activism is important, but there's something else happening with the death of George Floyd. It seems as if people were waking up. You know, we don't blame we we never blame people on their co- based on their color. We're not against white people. We're not we're against you know injustice. And let me tell you something. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to conclude. Um. Last year, it was April 15th, I was watching a baseball game and I happened to turn on the TV as a baseball game and I saw something strange. Do you know in all sports, not only do they have the names on the uniforms, but in the back of the uniforms, they have the number. In every team, they have their own number. Every player has his own number to identify him. So I'm watching the game, and I noticed the New York Mets, every baseball player had the same number. Same number. And then I watched the other team, everyone had the same number. And you know what number they had? They had the number 42. All of them wore the number 42. Why are they wear the number 42? It was an honor of a black man named Jackie Robinson. Why 42? 42 was his number. Jackie Robinson was the first African American allowed to play baseball in 1947. They had been playing baseball for many, many years. 80-something years, I think it was. But finally, they allowed a Black man to play Major League Baseball. And in honor of him, his number was retired, and no one could ever wear the number 42 again. But every year, in commemoration to him and um, April 15, all the teams, everybody wear the number 42. Yes, we had a Black president, yes. But you got to be—you got to understand something. There's a white backlash from President Obama. Everyone wasn't pleased with that, and there are some politicians who take advantage of that. Some people who still want the old way. In my conclusion, brothers and sisters, what we are witnessing now is in the end of white supremacy. It's different. Let me say this uh, to you. Um, I love the arts. When I went to college, um, my my major was math, but my minor was art. I was an artist, and I painted. Uh, This is before I became a a Muslim. And, you know, oftentimes in a person's art, embedded in their art, is their philosophy of life. Spike Lee, uh, an African-American film producer, he said, someone asked him the question, what makes a great movie? He said, a great movie has three things. Number one, it has to be entertaining. Number two, it has to be educational. And number three, it has to be inspirational. If there are two movies that I can re- uh, recommend for you to watch, and, and Ambassador Rasul, you have to watch both of these movies. Everyone else don't have to do it, but you have to do it. Uh, one of them is called 12 Angry Men. It came out in 1956, and it's about a movie of a uh, um, uh, 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 Latino-American uh, teenager charged with murder. And the whole movie took place in a, in a, in a jury uh, a room uh, where they're deliberating, a deliberating room. And 12 men had to deliberate on the innocent or the guilt of this man. From the beginning, he's guilty. They feel he's guilty. We don't even have to discuss it. So they don't, there's no names in the movie. It was jury number one, number two, number three. Number, so the whole movie takes place in that and it shows how the jury system works. That's movie number one. Movie number two came out last week, last year rather. It's called the, um, Just Mercy. It's a true story um, about really prison system injustice against black people. So I would recommend you see that. But let me say this last thing, and before I go, I'm gonna mention five women, one of them you know. I'm gonna mention five women, and I'm gonna tell you the significance of that, and then I'm gonna to finish. Tony Ann Singh from Jamaica. Last year, she was Miss World. You know, Zozi benni Tunzi, you know from South Africa, Last year, she's Miss Universe. Nia Franklin, Miss U- Miss America, last year. Chelsea Crisp, Miss USA, last year. Khalid Garris, Miss Teen USA, last year. For the first time in the history of the world, all five of these women Black is different now. Things are changing. People are changing, but now we have to take advantage. The question is, what's going to happen in America? What's going to happen in South Africa? What's going to happen in UK? What's going to happen in Europe? What's going to happen in the world? Answer, what do you want to happen? And what are you prepared to do to bring it about? The death of George Floyd is divine. You know why? Because Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Antum allah all. You are God's witnesses on earth. And because this was witness, everybody saw it. Mm. People are outraged. 1965, a turning point of the civil rights movement. 1965, in Alabama, Selma, Alabama. You know what happened? On a Sunday, March 7, 1965, 600 black people want to march from Selma, Alabama, to the capital, to Montgomery. And you know why they're marching? Because black people, though they're supposed to have the right to vote, they have the right to vote, but they had an illiteracy tests. Black men and black women had to take a test before they have a right to vote. And mm-hmm. Ambassador Rasul, can you hear me right now?
1: Yes, we can, uh, Imam, maybe if you could Ambassador- conclude on, on that point. I'm yeah, Dunk, I am. I know you. I told you you're gonna get rid of me. I I know I know that. You're fine. Up.
3: I got you. Ambassador Russell, I'm gonna ask you a question right now. One of the questions that was that black people had to answer in 1965. I'll give you a thousand dollars right now if you can answer the question. And this is the question: how many bubbles in a bar of soap? Oh, I, I think you will laugh, you know you can't answer the question. No one can. Question of votes for black people right now. So we have a lot of work to do. May Allah wa taala bless you.
1: Wa alaykum as- wa alaykum as- <laughs> khairan, uh, Imam Siraj, for that uh, introduction. Uh, just by way of um, um, summarizing, you quoted Thomas Jefferson. Uh, which is a brilliant quote, I think. Um, and you asked, what will America be uh, under the new regime that we now find? And uh, that's a question I'd like to uh, explore a little bit more. Uh, and then you, I think beautifully, what we were talking about Ana Aswad, Ana Afrikiya, and then you said Ana um, America also, which is, which is correct. I, I think that's that's the way to treat uh, the current condition that we find ourselves in. Well, interestingly, uh you f- you find that you say that the american uh, uh, particularly African americans uh remain behind in almost everything that that, that happens in america uh and um, and which is a statistic i mentioned earlier on yeah of uh, course. in terms of 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 the uh, everything. uh income disparities that you have um and and uh, shocking and this i didn't know you said that ten thousand people uh are convicted uh in America and they are Innocent, innocent people, 10,000 innocent people. Innocent people. They are eventually found to have been innocent. And, and th- that's one of the points that I would like to explore. And then you talked about uh, two movies that you're saying that are key to watch, and I, maybe I could repeat them. 12 Angry Men is an oldish movie, and the new one called Just Mercy. Uh, can I can I uh, ask uh, Ambassador Rasool uh, the following question? Ambassador, I think we've sketched the background quite nicely more importantly, you know, uh, it's, it's it's wonderful doing the kind of uh, historical view uh, and casting backwards is important to plan ahead. What are the plans ahead for the global community uh, when we're talking uh, tackling racism as an issue? Because racism is not uniquely or uh, only <coughs> ingrained in the American psyche. It's ingrained in the South African psyche. It's ingrained in the in the European psyche. It's. Uh, our good f- friend or maybe not friend maybe it's the wrong term um uh modi is doing what he's doing against muslims in in in, in, uh, in india uh, the rohingya and the kosh in uh, uh, in the upper uh, echelons of india too what is it that we as as a world community and i'm asking you this because your your organization is aptly known as the world for all what in your opinion should be done going forward lest the risk would be that we would have a wonderful campaign of, of opposition to what happened to George Floyd. Uh, and, and like George Floyd, many others have said that they can't breathe and have died the result. Many others are alive but can't breathe. How do we tackle the issue of racism
2: going forward, henceforth? Ambassador Rasool. Thank you very much, Shabudin. I want to say two things, that there are two kinds of legacies of colonialism. One is the settler colonial where the settlers in some cases remained in power and dominant, like the United States, like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and so forth. I think South Africa has a version of it because our settlers had nowhere else to go and therefore they're embedded in our society and have the economic and other um, accesses to power. But then there are places where the settlers have moved but have often left behind a legacy either embedded in certain elites or in certain frames of thought and where they've moved from the racial us, they have moved to the micro ethnicities, the micro religious and the micro divisions in those societies. And so you, those societies wait for a Modi to come along and for example, to, to, to exploit it in, in Burma or, um, you, you you, you, have the similar situation. And the key thing that I think, particularly COVID-19 is bringing about, is that it has disrupted the world with its fragmentations. Disease has shown that the world is one. You think you're safe in one country, but it can reach you. And in the same way, the combination of this moment of pandemic and crisis has in fact allowed us to be able to make connections Through technology, and what we need to vow to each other is that as COVID 19 recedes, our solidarity will not, our connectedness will not, we will not allow ourselves to be fragmented according to our favorite ism or phobia. That Muslims must never stand in a corner and make Palestine their own, make the (coughs) Rohingya their own, make the Modi issues their own, in the same way that we shouldn't allow Blacks in America to feel on their own. And we've got to have those micro-unities between Indian Arab American Muslims and African American Muslims so that they are never again separated. And we've got to do that globally. I think this moment is ripe with the possibility of overcoming fragmentation and building not only global solidarity, but I think a global movement Against those kind of power structures that have been so unravelled by COVID nineteen, Ambassador thank you for that. What, what is it that must be done going forward? What, what are the what are the
1: campaigns that must be launched and or issues that needs to be tackled going forward? Because the concern always is that it's it's typically you know we all get very upset and angry about issues two three weeks down the line nothing. Uh, continues to happen, what is it that we as a global community, if not South African community for that matter, because we're known to be uh, steadfast campaigners against uh, injustices, what is
2: it that globally should be be happening now in your view? I think we've got to fill that space with leadership, that vacuum that has been occasioned. I think the populist leaders have been exposed and I think that there is a realization that we need a new thinking. I think we've got to get rid of the old thinking. There are those who think that this capitalism can be de-racialized and reformed, and we might just get back to that. I think on the other hand, there are those who believe now is the time to revive our socialist ideals. Let's go back to that. I think the debate is somewhere in the new. What is The Maqasid, what are the intents, the values, and the objectives that will revive humanity? So, is egalitarianism important? Let's not put egalitarianism in a label bottle necessarily called socialism. Is the market a useful mechanism? But let's unbottle it from its capitalist um, label, and let's see what works for us. What is this humanity? that i think we need to to revive how do we see each other as humans without unduly racializing or thinking we're in a post racial situation let's deal with race and 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 those identities as crucial matters as we go forward and therefore i think it's not about only thinking of the socialist international, now is the time for us to come forward. It's the time for us to come forward on a new set of precepts that is defined by the values we want to search with, the objectives we want to search with, and the intents. And that, I think, has to be the basis of a new thinking as the precondition for a new movement across the world. Thank you very much.
1: That's Ambassador Rasul giving us his view. Uh, Imam Siraj, um, there's a good chance that uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, might bring out the, um, the, the military to, to squash what, what is happening in the United States as we speak now. Um, is there a big fear that this could actually happen? And what do you see the kind of reaction on the ground that you expect might, might be uh, visible? Let me tell you
3: what uh, John F. Kennedy said. He said, those who will make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. I've never been about a person threatened, we're going to do this. But right now we have the momentum. And you see Donald, the president, the president is being exposed. He's being exposed by his own people, his own base. He's being exposed as someone who don't care about anyone but himself. So what we have to do, someone once said that the constant dripping of water on a stone will drill a hole in the stone. This is the moment. Allah has given us this moment. And I want to say this. I want to get this in because I don't want to leave without saying this. There's a brother in my community. He told me, he said, Imam, I take 29 different medicines a day. I take 29 different medicines a day. He's got 29 different ailments and he takes medication. And the medicine that he takes doesn't cure his his um you know his his he does it doesn't cure him. A man came to the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, and said his his brother had a stomach ache. and the Prophet said, "Isqi' Asalan, give him honey. The bottom line that he gave him the honey, because Allah said the honey is the shifa, it's a cure for what's in the in, 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 you know in, in the person. So but this thing, people what they do, they waste their time Treating symptoms and not the, the 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 root of the problem. And I'll give you one example, and, and you know, listen, I can't help myself. I'm a preacher, I talk, you give me a mic, I won't stop, you gotta stop me. So let me let me say this. I think it's 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 critical for we for so so that we can get the the, the point. Racism isn't the only problem. You see, when a person has a headache, and we all have had headaches, and a person takes a an aspirin, an aspirin is a, a lie because the aspirin doesn't deal with the root of the problem. What an aspirin does, it goes to where the pain is and it deadens the nerve. So you can't feel the pain, but you didn't solve the problem. So we have to make sure that we go to the root of the problem rather than going to all these fires because today is racism. Like in my country right now, I don't know about South Africa, drugs is a major problem. 70,000 people a year die of drug overdose. 480,000 Americans die every year as a result of smoking cigarettes. Uh, uh, 41,000 Americans die every year from secondhand smoke. They don't even smoke cigarettes. The World Health Organization said by the end of the 21st century, if the nations of the world do nothing, one billion people will die as a result of, uh, of smoking cigarettes. What am I saying? you got to go to the root. Listen, I'm a Muslim and my, my I'm going to always go back to what Allah and his messenger have said, because the answer has always been in God sending the prophets to take the people from the darkness and bring them to the light to deal with the root of the problems. And the root of the problem, the issue is man making a decision of what he's going to do. You know, there's no Absolute right, absolute wrong, and this is why I, Sir Isaac Newton said that I can calculate the movement of the stars, but not of the madness of man. So today, one person think he's better because he's white. Another day, another person think he's better because he's Arab. And another day, another person think he's better because he's this and, and better and, and, and than that. But for us, we gotta go to the root, and my root always is go back to God, go back to Allah, go back to the beginning, and that's going to be. The, the, uh, the, the point of where we're going to begin to solve all of these
1: issues. Imam, Jazakla to you. Am I muted? Jazakla to you. Uh, Imam, you, you, you've referenced um, we um, as, as an African-American community um, in the United States. This is not the first, and I'm, not, I'm sure this is not going to be the last uh, George Floyd uh, incident uh, given the, the the DNA, as as uh, Ambassador Sool spoke about earlier on, um, uh, is is there a chance that this thing would die down quite soon? And and
3: it will um, die, it will die down, it will die down if we let it. And this is why I go
1: back to my theme. That, that, what, that, you, what, that was my question, Imam. That was my question. <clears throat> Is there an, a, a weakness in, the, in the, the kind of systems that exist within the African-American communities that prevents them from coalescing and therefore tackling the issues that you've highlighted? I don't think so. What would those uh, issues be?
3: It, no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with that premise. I'm saying that timing is everything. Timing is everything. Okay. This is the right time. Every leader, every African-American leader that I speak to, even non, non-African-Americans, non-Black, says that this is different. This is different. We have never seen such uh, sustained activity. In 1965, when I mentioned the March to Selma, Alabama, do you know what Black people got in August? Right? That was March. March, April, May, June, July, August. President Lyndon Johnson signed a voter's rights bill. Something happened. Something will happen, something is happening right now. Right now, our Congress is meeting. They're changing laws, they're changing laws from state to state uh, and and city to city. So this seems a little bit different. You know what, we always have to have hope, but hope with a plan. So I'm saying that something is happening, this, I've never seen it like this before. I've marched, I've marched a thousand miles, but this one seems a little bit different. Thank you. And again, and impact all over the world, Thing is, can we take advantage of it
1: and take it to the next level? That's the issue. Wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Imam Siraj. Ambassador Rasul, the um, you, you spent five quality years in the United States as the ambassador to the United States uh, from South Africa. Your, your gut feel about the 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 issues that that face not the Black African Americans but the the white Americans. Is there there a notion amongst them that the kind of injustices that are being visited upon the African American people, that there needs to be something different that happens amongst the white Americans, and which is
2: not happening? And and why do you think that is the case? Shabuddin, I spent four and a half years as ambassador and then about two years as a scholar at Georgetown University my exit public interview that was conducted by Mehdi Hassan. He asked, Trump had just been elected, wasn't president yet. He said, what do you think of the election of Trump? My response was that America was asleep and Trump is the alarm clock. I thought that that was not going to be the case until 2020, that perfect storm. And I think that what is encouraging is that there's a diversity of people. For the first time, I am seeing Arab Indian imams stepping forward. Just about two years ago, prominent imams from those communities would make unwitting racist utterances. Now I think that they are subjecting them to the perspective of Black Lives Matter because they know who is the endangered community in the United States. Secondly, I am amazed that a church that was damaged in the protests where Trump posed with a Bible that the church leadership across the United States came out and, and didn't die because their church was damaged. They felt that the the desecration of their church by Trump's posture was more important than the windows that were broken mm. of the church mm. that's encouraging for me the number of young white activists joining these marches is encouraging to me not on their own terms but on the terms of black lives matter okay and that is different and the fact that i started off by saying this was the 19th consecutive day of nationwide protest it is for me absolutely sustained as it goes forward. And so I think that there is something different. The question is, is there enough leadership um, to to harness it? Is there enough energy to sustain it? Um, Is it going to translate into legal reforms, as um, Imam Siraj says? Is it going to translate into electoral um, shifts in November? Um, Hopefully it does. But then Joe Biden also needs to get out of the way. He must understand that in a national um, referendum in the USA, he is the yes vote and Trump is the no vote. It's not that he is liked. He is simply a proxy for a rejection of the hard naked edge of supremacy um, in, in the US. And therefore, I think, we must have an all-of-the-above response to what, is, to what is happening. It is protest. It is election. It is legal reform. It is this, that, and the other. But most importantly, it is a global movement that I think must take center stage, that supports the U.S., but that also supports what's happening in India, that must have an intolerance towards what Israel is doing In Palestine, what is happening in India, what is happening in Kashmir. This is the moment, if we don't glue it together into one mighty river at this point, point, we may lose this ability to make a tremendous thrust against the whole legacy of colonialism that is racism, dispossession, discrimination, and disempowerment. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ambassador
1: Rasool. Can I just say now, thank you very much to viewers on ITV. They only have uh, one hour uh, allocated towards this program. We thank the viewers from ITV uh, for having been uh, visiting our lounges for uh, live, in fact. Thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Rasool. We'll continue for the uh, uh, next few minutes uh, uh, on uh, Voice of the Cape and also obviously on all the other social media platforms. Um, Imam, I just want to put you on the spot. You're the future president of the United States of America. Tell me what reforms you would consider as an African-American that is an egalitarian policy that you would institute today if you were asked. Can I be
3: honest with you? I want it before I answer that question. You know, you may think I'm crazy, but the best thing that's happening to this movement right now is President Donald Trump. He has been so exposed by by so many people that we now see very clearly, people see very clearly, who never saw before the military, really, is against Donald Trump. Many Republicans, you'll see shortly, are going to abandon the ship of Donald Trump. My thing is this, you know what? We, listen, This this nation... The prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, said, And all of the people, are human beings, are the children of Adam, and Adam was created of dust. There is no superiority of a black over a white or white over a black. No. And we must give everyone freedom of their religion. Our religion teaches that. So what I would say, I would say I would try to um, implement justice, Uh, I would implement what the um, Harvard Law School, in the entrance of the faculty library, is a verse from the Quran. It says, all you who believe stand out firmly as witnesses for Allah, even against yourself or against your parents or against your relatives or against the rich or the poor. Stand up for justice. My platform would be a platform of justice. I know that's simple, but it's very simple. But Allah loves the just and he doesn't love the unjust.
1: Uh, Ambassador Rasul, can I just tap on your um, uh, thinking? Uh, Your your time in the United States would have exposed you to the prison system in in the United States. Uh, The United States has a a plethora of private prisons that's 100% profit-driven. Is there a notion that the the fact that African Americans are arrested and incarcerated in the numbers that they are, Are they filling a quota here to try and make sure that the investors in the prison system actually make some good money out of incarcerating as many African-Americans
2: as possible, do you think? I'd I'd, I'd, I'd also like to hear Imam Siraj's view on this, but the fact of the matter is that when you're being paid per head for, um, for, for, for someone incarcerated in a private prison, And when so much of the budget goes to private prisons, there is a perverse incentive to fill the prisons. There is nothing correctional about a prison um, system if it is profit-driven. And and therefore, no country should allow um, something like that to be privatized at all because when the burden is on the state, the state's intention is to spend less whereas when it's in private hands the intention is to spend more per head and it's not that they target african americans it's that african americans are the easiest targets the conviction rates are much higher with african americans because the burden of proof in court doesn't really have to hold up because you just need a a skewed um jury in order to, to get the conviction rate. You don't even have to prove beyond reasonable doubt. You simply have to prove something, motive or whatever the case may be. And that is why you've got this phenomenon of now with DNA people being, 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 being reprieved, Exonerated. Because Exterminate. Uh, now it, it has been proven that people were simply lynched in a legal system as opposed to from a tree. And so I think African Americans have proven to be the ones who are the least well represented legally. Secondly, they have to they are guilty until proven innocent, unlike the norm. And thirdly, um, there is very little systems of protest against the incarceration of African Americans, and that feeds a profit motive. Someone saw a gap in the market, took it, filled it. And I think that when an unscrupulous president comes along who's part of the The profit-making body system, you can see a proliferation of all of those kind of things.
1: Right. Thank you very much, um, uh, Ambassador Rasul. Imam Siraj, um, we're rapidly getting towards the end of of, of the program for this evening. Your closing comments, what would you say um, uh, would be the powerful... Uh, Issues that needs to be tackled immediately. You did mention earlier on that uh, justice is is a big, big issue. Uh, Is there an opportunity to form lobby groups that would uh, be so strong and unshakable going forward uh, that um, hopefully, inshallah, will cause not only America to change in its attitude towards those who are non-European across the globe, but also to those who are currently oppressed in every corner of the world?
3: I think what's happening now is that I'm very hopeful, by the way, and by nature, I'm a a hopeful person, um, but hope for a reason, right? Because we are forming alliances, and one of the things I try not to do, I try not to always telegraph what we're doing. I try not to telegraph what we're doing, but I say right now, there are some unbelievable alliances taking place right now. This feels different. Um, I haven't spoken to one leader I'm talking about Muslim, non-Muslim leader, black, non-black, who are not feeling that this is different. Everybody feels that this is different. The question, only Allah knows, right? But, you know, listen, Noah preached for 950 years and maybe had 80 followers, but you still have to keep on going. So Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, 23 years, now 1,800,000,000 people follow him. So the consistency, the persistency, that's my issue. Talking to one another, we're talking to others we haven't spoken to ever before, but we're speaking now and we're planning together. We got a lot of issues. We got a lot of issues. Inshallah, we're working. Inshallah, we're working. Together.
1: Inshallah. Wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Ambassador Rasul.
2: Just comments. I think that Muslims are often very resistant to partnerships. They often think that every partnership they go in is a unshakable marriage. Whereas South Africa, and this has been one of the things that I've been speaking about. Imam Siraj will know across the length and breadth of America saying that when you share issues you form partnerships when you share objectives you form coalitions and where you share values you form alliances Muslims have the tendency to think oh no, here's the LGBT community, I can't maybe you can't be in alliance with them, but you can be in coalition with them Mm. Muslims think, here are evangelical Christians, they are recruiting us in West Africa, etc., etc. We can't be. But if you share an issue with them, you form a partnership. Mm. And so the art and the craftsmanship of politics at this moment is going to let us down. Mm. And therefore, I would say, if Muslims of, Afri- um, of Indian, Arab origin have found it difficult, for example, to even reach out to African American Muslims because they have certain ideas about Elijah Muhammad, etc., etc. This is the time to drop that. Mm. You've got to have intra-Muslim alliances in order to make inter-community coalitions work at this moment. I, that's that's the most important one. And I want to end by saying that COVID nineteen must not be ignored in this it is a killer even in cape town in south africa we must make dua that allah Taala sure. gives shifa to those who are infected prevent sure. their deaths inshallah that allah us safe and that more importantly that allah SWT keep the protesters who are out there hmm. under difficult conditions to maintain social distance but fighting for social justice. Allah put a special protection around each one of them because if they lose momentum, because they fear for their own infection rates, the world loses momentum towards justice. And so, inshallah, that is my closing plea and prayer that, inshallah, this will happen. Wonderful. Thank you very much. That was Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul
1: in his closing remarks. I must thank both the the uh, participants, Imam Siraj Wahaj, uh, for taking the time. It is a Saturday afternoon, I believe, in the United States, yes, uh, and uh, for spending at time it's with not us today. So yeah, it's baseball day, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you can wield your bat uh, against uh, a, a few people, uh, Imam. Uh, but thank you very much, and uh, we, inshallah, maybe at some point uh, when all of the COVID issues are over, maybe we should invite you to on a speaking tour of South Africa, inshallah. Yes, we'd we'll love to. to you. Thank you. Shalat Jazakallah khairan. And then, uh, Ambassador Rasul, as eloquent as always, thank you very much. It was good having you on the program. I think your deep insight into what happens in America, given your position as the ambassador to the United States of, uh, from South Africa, uh, clearly stands in good stead in terms of your views that you've expressed uh, this evening. Then I'd be failing my duty if I didn't thank the uh, ITV for having joined us uh, live on on. on uh, uh, this program, and also uh, Voice of the Cape FM in Cape Town for having broadcast this event live. Then a th- big, big thank you also to the technical team here in the studio who have done a fantastic job, and I'd like to mention in particular Wesley, um, 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 Anwar Abdurrahman, and also uh, Muhammad Jaffer, uh, who is the master behind this, and I cannot forget, obviously, Dr. Ilyas Parker, uh, the driver behind what happens at the academia library and his team of madcaps who drive the library to the extent that it has. And I think it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Shanazi Brahim, who does all the the, the uh, tricks and trades in the background, thank you very much to you too. Thank you to all the viewers and all the listeners. assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa 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 barakatuh. Alhamdulillah.
0: of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape.